Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Sat on the edge of the bed thinking, I don't feel too good. Then luckily my wife came home from rowing and said, you don't look well. And in fact, I was very lucky she spotted the signs. At that point, after two long sessions of surgery, only five weeks apart, you're almost convinced, you know, life was slipping away. I can still picture the day now as if it was. I think I was very good at accepting it because you obviously go down the what ifs and the why me's for a little while and you soon realise there's no point. So you do have to be quite hard to yourself. Some people believe they're dealt a deck of cards the day they're born. In that pack of cards, there's always a couple of jokers. Is my jokers having a stroke? Well, I've done it and I've accepted it and played it. And I only hope that that's the only joker in the pack. I'll be happy, I think. Hello, this is Stroke Stories and I'm Mark Goodyear. In the UK, there are more than 100,000 strokes every year. That's about one every five minutes. In the past, strokes were traditionally seen to affect older people who smoked, maybe drank too much or suffered from high blood pressure. But in the last 15 years, data shows the number of men aged 40 to 54 in England hospitalised after a stroke grew by 46%. The figure for women showed a 30% increase. A stroke is usually sudden, it can be devastating, and while health services are amazing with their diagnosis and treatment, after the stroke, when you get home, patients often find there aren't enough resources to help them on their journey to recovery. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Alistair Kirkpatrick, I assume, and I use that horrible word, a normal life, which was very active. I was a very sporty person. I was a rower and a runner, a bit of swimming and a bit of cycling, and busy running my own business. So like everybody's like absolutely flat out. I believe I was as fit as one possibly could have been for my age. Ate sensibly, didn't drink or smoke. And then on the, uh, always remember the day well, Sunday the 30th of April, Sunday morning I always went for a very early row. So I was rowing with four friends for an hour on the river. Came home as normal, had a shower. After the shower, just felt strange, nothing more than that. Sat on the edge of the bed thinking, I don't feel too good. Then luckily my wife came home from rowing and said, you don't look well. And in fact, I was very lucky she spotted the signs. She thinks the speech was a bit slurred and maybe the face was slightly dropped. And um, phoned for the ambulance. Now, I was still fully conscious at this time. We live in a stupid place up a hill. The ambulance took a while getting here, and we had trouble getting it up our driveway. I can remember the ambulance crew take me out of my bedroom where I was sitting on the bed, and all the time, whoever was on the phone with 999 were giving very good advice to my wife, saying, 
don't let him sleep, don't let him close his eyes, keep conscious, keep him talking. Now, I can remember all that going on. Then the ambulance obviously took me not to my local hospital because it wasn't the centre for my sort of condition. They took me to one in Newport called the Gwent. I don't actually remember arriving there. I must have been getting quite ill then. Was in the Gwent up for a quick scan in the CT scanner. Then it was a long discussion, which I can't remember anything of, with my wife saying, can we try and break the clock? There is a risk, obviously, of a bleed here. So she signed the form. They tried that. Sadly, that didn't work. And they said, we can't do another one for 10 or 12 hours. So I was in there overnight. In the morning, quick scan saying, yes, it's still there. We need to do it again. We can do it twice. So they did another shot at trying to bust it. Up to the CT scanner again. Oh, you got a slight bleed now, which was always a warning. Right, we need you back in an ambulance. I can, I can't, this is only what I've been told. We can't do anything here. We're going to have to take you to the Heath Hospital, University Hospital in Cardiff, where they can do the surgery. So off in an ambulance I went. Again, no memory at all. In the Heath, where my wife was met by the surgeon, and my family started to arrive at this point, and he said, we also need to operate, which means cutting a, about a seven centimetre square hole in the side of the head, and that has to relieve the pressure because the pressure is killing the brain. And if we don't operate now, I'm afraid there's almost no chance of survival. If I do operate, there's a 20% chance that he should be fine. So in I went for surgery. I think it was eight, ten-hour surgery. And the weird thing there, when I came to, which I obviously can remember, I didn't have a head pain. Obviously, that did hurt. But more hurt was my stomach because in Wales, and Wales only, this seven-centimetre square plate they cut out of my skull, they actually tuck into your stomach for safekeeping. So you wake up with this pain in your stomach, and the surgeon says, don't worry about that. We have that for safekeeping because your body won't reject it. That's why we look after it inside your stomach. If you're in England, we don't do that. We actually make a titanium plate to put back, but you're going to have to live with that plate now. About average four or five weeks, which time the swelling of your brain will hopefully go down. The plate would obviously, swelling would have gone down. Then I'm afraid the bad news is we need to operate again. Alistair had already been through a significant ordeal and found the wait for his final surgery frustrating. Every Friday, I went up for an X-ray in the CT scanner where they could measure the swelling of the brain. They can measure the plate inside your stomach to see whether that's all happy. And they say, no, it's still a bit swollen. We had to wait another week. And also, you could tap the skin on your head because, obviously, there's nothing between the skin and your brain. So you can feel the swelling yourself. Week after week, I had to wait. And that was probably worse than the stroke operation itself because you... You knew what was coming up then. You think, I can't cope with another major surgery. You're still feeling very exhausted from the initial surgery and stroke. And then week by week went, and it was five weeks, as he said, when that Friday they said, right, your swelling's gone down. You're in for surgery now on the Friday. And, of course, that was an agony waiting those last two days because surgery lists are always bumped down because obviously A&E comes first, which is understandable. And then he said, right, we're going down to surgery. And down you go. And... Obviously, you remember the anaesthetic and that went in. And that was almost 16 hours then. They obviously cut some of them, get the plate out, get it a good clean, put it in the side of your head, put four little plates across the corners of your skull, then screw the plate back in again. When you come to after that long surgery, obviously your head, you're in general pain. At that point, after two long sessions of surgery, only five weeks apart, you're almost convinced, you know, life was slipping away. I can still picture the day now as if it was. It was, and the amount of morphine one would require to get through that first 48 hours was a lot. But you soon learned the technique of calling for the nurse 20 minutes early to get the next shot of morphine. The day later, obviously with all the tests, they're always testing your memory, your eyesight, 
and luckily I could still see, I could still hear, I could talk, but lost my left leg. Well, not lost it, but lost the use of it. And then my left arm, and eventually found out a little bit of my left eyesight. So you can say you were lucky because the speech was there. And of course, a lot of people lose their speech first. And my memory was still intact. So there are some things you ought to be grateful for. And then that took me 12 weeks to recover from the operation. And then after that 12 weeks, I was moved to my local hospital, which is in Abergavenny, which is a lot easier for my wife and family. And we started then 12 weeks of very minor physio to see, can you stand up? Because at this point, the worst thing is you can't get out of bed. So you can't go to the bathroom or anything. So the little things of life hit you the hardest. You can't eat properly. Drinking was hard. Everything was hard. So 12 weeks of physio in hospital, and then they released you, which you were looking forward to. By this time, you've had enough of hospital, even though they did a fantastic job of keeping you alive. You were looking forward to going home. But in that time, we were able to convert our bathroom to a wet room because obviously we realised now I was going to be wheelchair-bound for a good few months, if not forever. So we converted one of the rooms to a wet room. And then after that 24 weeks, was allowed home where the local CNRS, which is a, a local group for Abergavenny, uh, communal, neural and brain injury services, come and see you at home for 12 weeks to give you physio. Excellent service. And you slowly start to recover, but you're still in a wheelchair and having to be wheeled from your bed to the bathroom and help to dress and all the rest. After that 12-week period, physio was reduced. And I do one session a week now with the NHS in Abergavenny and two sessions a week privately. And since then now, uh, which is what, a year ago, I'm now able to walk quite well with a stick. And I'm only weeks or months away now from walking because that is really building on well. No use of my left arm at all, but they say that's quite normal with a stroke. Your, your arm was always behind your recovery because patient's initial ambition is always to want to walk. Obviously, very keen and determined to get well. Last year, I did a charity bike ride um, from Cardiff to Tenby, which was 110 odd miles. So it shows you what you can do. We raised probably in excess of £15,000 for the Stroke Association over three different events. I'm doing the same event this year, but on my own trike. So I'll be left more independent. The physical side is getting better. But what people don't measure or can't see the public, that is, is your mental side. When you saw the scan when you left hospital, you realised that probably a third of your brain had died in the bleed. The surgeon said you shouldn't be alive. The, the physio said you'll never be able to stand up again. You can't see the brain damage side. And I'm standing here talking to you now knowing that my head feels fuzzy. The only way I can explain to someone is when someone has a real out-of-sorts day, we all have them on a Sunday afternoon, when you can't think of what to do, you mooch around from room to room, you half go for a walk, and you have this sort of cloud over your head. Not quite a hangover, it's more of a out-of-sorts. That is how you feel 24-7, because the brain is all sort of muddled, and you can't see the wood for the trees. Although some aspects of the brain injury have been tough for Alistair to deal with, he remains positive. I think I was very good at accepting it because you obviously go down the what ifs and the why me's for a little while and you soon realise there's no point. So you do have to be quite hard to yourself. And then obviously being in hospital, I know this is going to sound bad in a way, they put you in a room obviously with 12 others and there's always people around who are far worse off and obviously quite a few of you know through stroke don't make it at all. And it's very hard to say, thank God I'm still alive because the quality of life is gone. I've been quite accepting, which I think is helping with the recovery. Some people believe they're dealt a deck of cards the day they're born. In that pack of cards, there's always a 
couple of jokers. Is my jokers having a stroke? Well, I've done it and I've accepted it and played it. And I only hope if that's the only joker in the pack, I'll be happy, I think. But who knows what's around the corner? To keep himself on track, Alistair sets himself a new goal every single week. Well, my first goal was to get out of bed. So that was accomplished fairly soon on. And then after that, what I got really annoyed at is watching other patients who were further down the line or taking themselves to the bathroom, not having to wait the 40 minutes. So the next goal was to get onto one of these special trolleys and where a nurse can wheel you from your bed to the bathroom. And even at sounds after that, was a huge breakthrough to think, yes, I can now get half myself to the bathroom. And then the next ambition was to be able to walk the stick so I could get from my bed at home to the bathroom, which is only 10 feet away. So I went from an NHS wheelchair, bought myself a nice electric wheelchair with a joystick control. I managed to then get around the house with that, bed to bathroom, and then advanced that to the stick. And then someone told me about this bike ride. There's an adapted tandem trike you can get from another charity. And you get a group of friends together and you'll be able to do it. So that got me fit. So I bought myself a proper bike, which you can have at home to cycle. It's built for people in my condition. They have them in hospitals, but they're very expensive. I managed to purchase one for home and got myself fit cycling. The leg didn't work, just the lazy leg manages to go round and round. That was enough then to get onto the tandem with my friends to do the bike ride. So that was the next major goal. And also the other big hobby I had was sailing was my real hobby. And obviously trying to get on a sailing boat again when you can't walk is quite difficult. But again, through a good group of friends, I managed to find a boat. It's an Olympic-class, Paralympic-class yacht, come dinghy, 2.4 metres long. Any ability you can sail it. So regardless of how good or bad you are, you race against equal people, and it's seen as equal, and I, and I totally believe it is. So I'm really looking forward to now when the spring arrives in April. It's quite scary because you're quite low to the water, but at least you are getting more mobile. My last one is driving. I went for a driving assessment yesterday, of all things, which, again, is Disability Driving Centre for Wales in Cardiff. I'm physically fit enough to drive. I've got a hand and a leg, but I knew that my brain is not as good as it used to be, which is the hardest thing to accept, but never guess you have to. And through the help groups locally here, I've done a lot of cognitive exercises and tests to test your memory, test your writing skills and your life skills. I realised what areas need improving upon before I can get behind a wheel again. People come up to you and say, look how well you're doing. I said, compared to how you used to be. I said, yeah, but you're comparing to something I didn't want to be compared against. And that's the always awkward one in conversations. As I said before, people can never see the mental picture and it's that mental recovery. And then you start to analyse yourself. You think, oh, if I had a choice, which would I rather back, the leg or the arm or your brain? And of course you want all three back. And then now the most simple things I miss is not holding a knife when eating your dinner. So your friends, when you go, I still have to cut your food up for you, which is obviously a bit like going back to two or three-year-old. You miss, I can't put on my own shoes still because I wear a splint in my foot to help me walk. And you can't obviously do your top button up on your trousers. So these real simple things that people laugh at in life are the things you miss the most. Like I got a taxi yesterday and I got to this guy and obviously you can see you walking with a stick and I got a splint on my leg. And I wear a shoulder strap because my shoulder's not working properly. So it stops my arm from aching. And they look at you and go, oh, you've been through the wars. And they always say, have you had an accident? And sometimes you just let it go because you don't want to go through this long story. And then he spent the next 20 minutes of taxi ride telling me how bad it was at school when he twitched his ankle. 
and how he was off school from football. And this other guy then did a sliding tackle on him and caught it hurt. And that really upset him and he couldn't play football for a while. And you think, I'm not going to start this conversation with you. <laughs> so it is difficult all the time. The serious surgery Alistair needed and the aftermath of the stroke never once stopped him from continuing with his life and he's since cycled 110 miles from Cardiff to Tenby, raising over £15,000 for the Stroke Association in the process. Still to come in this episode of Stroke Stories, Alistair explains how he was able to access support groups when he got home. Initially, lots of stuff is offered and through the Stroke Association they offered these local support groups. And he tells us he's going to keep working hard on his physio. Like with anything, it's only your friend who haven't seen you for six months who come back and say, wow, you're looking better or you weren't doing that last month. So the outlook is obviously to keep on hard with a physio and then try and regain use of the hand. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's hear how Alistair was supported once he left hospital and got back home. You felt like you obviously had huge support at hospital and they were very good at what they did. Then you discharged and you thought, what now? I had my 12 weeks physio planned as a outpatient but what I did find was a gap is no one quite has a time of day to explain what has happened to you and what your future lies so that's the biggest gap and I'm still asking lots of questions now because obviously it's a big blur during the time of the surgery of what really happened the consultants are all too busy I find to have the time to actually sit with you and really explain you get the general picture, like obviously you had a stroke, you've got a lot of brain damage, but that's all you get to know. You see the scan, which is quite horrific, but then got time to go through each bit of the scan and say, right, this bit normally did control this part of your being and obviously doesn't anymore. So there's a lot of unanswered questions in that part of the recovery, even still today, two years on. Initially, lots of stuff is offered, and through the Stroke Association, they offered these local support groups. We have our local regional group, I think it's called the Phoenix Group or something here. But at the time, you're still in recovery mode and really probably weren't that interested. But it's more like a year or two years on, I'm probably more interested now. I haven't actually met many people in my similar condition. The only person who generally gave me a little bit of inspiration because of the online stuff will probably be Andrew Marr. When I listened to his documentary, 
I felt like I was listening to myself because he was a runner who turned to rowing, had his stroke, very similar. And I still remember it today. I was watching it in hospital saying, it's physio, physio, physio. You can't get enough physio. And that sort of rings in my head today. So one day, if I ever bump into him, I'd obviously like to thank him for that. Although care for stroke survivors is getting better all the time, Alistair hopes, in the future, for survivors, there can be a more positive outlook. At the time, you're always told that no two people are ever the same with a stroke because brain damage is brain damage and you can't get identical brain damage because it's such a complex thing. So you're always looking for a bit of inspiration or hope, but no one dares give it. I found that really hard to accept. Even today, I try and seek that guidance. I say, you know, off the record, what's the outlook looking? They say, can't really comment. Because as I was told, A, I shouldn't have been here anyway. And secondly, I was told quite clearly by a senior figure that you never stand up again, look at your scan. So I can understand why they can't be positive, but you think a little bit of positivity would be nice. So even today, I still would like to have a chat with someone about what is the future, but understanding that they can't predict it, but at least give you some positivity back. Keep on what you're doing and things will improve. I was told I'm being extremely lucky because obviously I was young and the brain is more placid than people originally thought. So it can adapt and it is slowly adapting, but it just takes that long time. I found a local private clinic, which has been almost a lifesaver. Um, very specialist compared to the health service, I'm sorry to say. A lot of expensive equipment. So I go there twice a week. Again, I feel myself a little bit lucky. I was able to go out and buy things that I mentioned before, like the electric chair. In a perfect world, it'd be nice if you could borrow these bits of equipment from someone like the association. But I guess there's just too many people out there like myself with a stroke because it's more common than most people think. And you just wouldn't be enough equipment to go around. And because the recovery being so slow, you're going to have it for a long period of time. But in myself, I hope to have the time and the ability when I finish with these pieces of equipment to pass them on because I do feel fortunate to be able to have them. And for the future, Alistair is focused on getting back the use of his hand. Obviously, each day, I say, I'm oh, taking on the Andrew Martin, physio, physio, physio. I'll get upset if I don't do physio every day. So at least if I don't see a professional, I can do it myself. But because it's so, so slow, you can't see what you achieved on a daily or a weekly basis. Like with anything, it's only your friend who haven't seen you for six months who come back and say, wow, you're looking better or you weren't doing that last month. So the outlook is obviously to keep on hard with the physio and then try and regain use of the hand. There is a specialist clinic in London, which I'm eager to get to, which do nothing but seven hours a day for seven days a week physio on the hand and I think that's what it's all about there also often is criticism about the NHS they're under resourced they always will be because we always want more they're on a five day a week an hour a week sort of physio program but if you up that to seven hours a day seven days a week your recovery will be quicker and then I obviously like to get walking which I'm sure is only around the corner as I probably mentioned before it's holding that knife just get any use from the hand back because I was a very hands-on, self-employed boat builder before. And so the thought of whether I'd ever be able to hold a screwdriver or a spanner again seems a very long way off. But as long as you accept that, so I'm sort of artificially giving myself two years, then I might have some use on my hand. That's the sort of thing you have to just give yourself time and time to do it. Alistair believes that you have to learn to embrace your condition and to accept help whenever it comes. It's very hard to preach Stay positive, which sounds so easy, and keep committed to your physio. I've been told this, and you think, they have no idea how I feel in my head. And you hear the word, and you think, you can never disagree with words like keep positive, work hard, 
nothing's impossible. Just the recovery is all yours. Just keep at it. Can't disagree with that, but they have no idea what's going on inside their head. You think, I know that, but I just can't do it because I'm so fatigued. I'm not the person who I was before. And you just got to accept that. And it just takes that extra help. But extra help comes often from your friends. I've been very fortunate. I've got a very close set of local friends here where I live who come and see me regularly, take me out, keep my old life going. I've even been out rowing with them one-handed. They take me cycling almost every weekend. So you're committed to your local friends and getting yourself out. You've got to get the effort then to, for the early days to getting out of bed is the hardest thing because you've been in there so long from your operation side, not just from the stroke, but from that surgery. But finding that willpower and commitment is you actually need someone to kick you because you need that commitment to get out, have a shower. You know, you can do it. No, I can't. I'm too tired. Yes, you, in you go. You've got to have your local luck with you, which is either friends or a supportive partner because it's not just me who had a life-changing event. People often get, it's obviously like my wife had a life-changing event on the same day because she didn't want to be her full-time carer the next day, but obviously had no choice. My wife's obviously been hugely supportive on that, and I thank her for that. Alistair is a very determined man, doing everything he can to make sure life returns to how it was before the stroke. He's already accomplished an incredible amount and continues to work every day on getting back the use of his hand. If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search for the Stroke Association online and for a dedicated NHS webpage, search for NHS Strokes. If you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, please subscribe to the series and also rate and comment because that will help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast is produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.